in order to get close enough, you have to avoid all of the brush behind you. So you have to do bow and arrow casts and stuff like that. So I feel like a little Joe Humphreys um, doing some bow and arrow casts under the brush where I'm kneeling down and I have to watch where my fly is actually going to land and if it's going to land in the right place. And it, it just brings my like focus and attention to it, like up to a hundred percent, like it dials it all in, but it's just the sulfur hatch is one thing that I live for just four days out of the year. And it's the most amazing thing. And if anyone has a chance to experience that, I'd, I'd definitely recommend it. Welcome to the fly fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world featuring insight from guides, gear reps, and resort managers, thoughts on entomology, fly patterns, destinations, and plenty of fish stories. An exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here's your host, Mark Hopley, with this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to have on the program Nathaniel Trichler. Now, Nathaniel's with the Fly Crate. Nathaniel, thanks for uh, coming on today. No problem. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. We'll get into the Fly Crate and all the good stuff you guys are up to, but um, let's take her back to the roots, if you don't mind. I always like to start the show off kind of um, getting a feel for how you got into fly fishing and, and basically where it all started for you. Right, right. So, uh, you know, my family is really big in the outdoors. Um, I grew up in uh, Northampton, Pennsylvania, which is like around Allentown and uh, Bethlehem area in the Lehigh Valley. And uh, my family's always been into the fishing scene, so even when I was little. But I had no idea that fly fishing existed until I was like, uh, I think, 11. And uh, I found it at a uh, Boy Scout convention. And there was a bunch of old dudes tossing around some line in the air and I was like, what is this? And I went over and I tried it out and, uh, I, I just absolutely fell in love with it right on the spot. So I picked it up from then and those people were actually from Trout Unlimited and from my hometown. So those guys became my little group that I hung out with all the time. And then eventually I went to, uh, fly tying classes that they held at our, my middle school at the time and uh, sort of grew from there and then kept hanging out with those guys and they introduced me to more people and it just kept going full circle and um yeah so it was in the winter that i really discovered and got into it and i couldn't uh, fly fish until the spring because of the season but uh so i was tying pretty much all winter and all the way into the spring and really picked that up and then as soon as spring hit you know i was like that rookie on the water trying to figure out what's going on and really discovering the what bugs are like what are trout really eating and it was really confusing but like i never got bored with it and i've really stuck to it and i absolutely love it and the people are just amazing so i've stuck with it and decided to build a business around it that's that's good stuff because i i agree with you just everybody i've met that's involved in any way shape or form with fly fishing it always seems to be really good solid people and and, and it's all about the relationships and the, the thing that i would say is we never stop learning and you just mentioned it you, you, you never get bored of it because there's always something new to know about whether it's entomology or tactics on the water fly casting gear like it, it's overwhelming and and a company like yourself at the fly crate is 
you know, helping grow the fly fishing industry. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we do a lot of, uh, like, we're, on our end, we're really big into the educational side, but also we're committed to, like, growing the community, as you said. Um, we do a lot of donations to a nonprofit called Project Healing Waters. A lot of people are very familiar with them, but I, I discovered them through uh, my uh, Trout Unlimited um, organization back in Pennsylvania, and uh, Project Healing Waters really stuck with me because my brother was in the Navy at the time, and he developed a lot of like uh, psychological disorders and um, actually a few uh, physical ones, too, in the process because he was a submarine guy, so he was stuck in the submarines for like tours on end. So as uh, being in those uh, small quarters and being a huge like bodybuilder dude, you know, that has a huge effect on someone. So I took it to heart and I wanted to support those guys out. So by that and also our donations to youth camps and fly tying conventions and stuff like that on the side, we uh, were helping grow the community and, you know, a few people at a time because it's, it's hard to hit um, everyone at scale, but you know, every little bit counts and, you know, you pick up 20 or 30 people a year who are brand new to fly fishing, especially the youth, and they stick with it for life. Yeah, that, that's very true. You kind of grow it organically. Project Healing Waters, on that note, I've heard so many great things about it. And, and something that I firmly believe is fly fishing can be a form of therapy. It's pretty well documented, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's why people you know, quit work for a day and or take off and go fly fishing uh, out in the hills or something. It, I, I guess it's like you're only focusing on one thing, and that's just catching fish and, you know, being out in the quiet or escaping those the urban noise and all that stuff really has a profound, like, uh, tranquility about it. So, you know, I, I absolutely 100% agree, and that's why I support it so heavily. And when I get stressed out or just need a break from the office, I, uh, you know, even going outside and I see some, I can see some midges flying around or something. There's just something calming about it where I can just be like, oh, I bet if I went now, I could catch some fish. And then it turns out I go down and toss in a zebra midge or something. And there I go. And, you know, just uh, focusing on the one thing. And I guess like it's sort of cliche being one with nature, but you know, it's absolutely true. Yeah, anytime you get in the great outdoors. And I think fly fishing also makes you pay attention to the details. Well, you just said it. You notice a cloud of midges. Well, before I got into fly fishing, I wouldn't even know first off what that was, or I just think there's a bunch of flies hanging around. But now it actually means something. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like in the summertime, those clouds of midges are annoying to me when I was a little because they would fly into my like I would be running or something, and one would get in my eye, and then I'd be like, oh no, <laughs> like the, it's the worst feeling having one of those fly into your eye or something or even just like a small gnat. But now I'm just like, you know, this this got to feed something, so I'll, I'll leave it alone, like I won't touch it. But, you know, like being at the water and just seeing all the insects going, like it, it's, if you think about it uh, on a broad perspective, there's just so much going on. Like there's things growing, there's things eating, there's things emerging. And if you take a step back and you look at it, it's just like overwhelming to see how like proficient and like efficient, like, everything that's going on in like the stream uh, ecosystem is like, but in just accepting that is it, it's really just amazing to think about, but you know, sometimes I just go outside and the, the small things are what makes it worth it. Like if you step back and you look at it as a broad a, a picture, you can appreciate that. But if you just focus on like 
a blade of grass and you see like a, uh, a black caddis on the underside of it and you just picture that and think of that, you can really appreciate like the beauty of nature and just that one thing. So it's, it's really beautiful in like all aspects. That's very well put. I'm curious about your, uh, you know, when you started your business and uh, first off, I'd like to talk influences. Who's been the biggest influence on your fly fishing, if you had to name someone? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of people who've contributed to my passion for fly fishing, but I really have to dedicate it to one person who's taken me under the wing from the beginning. So, when I, his name is uh, Ken O'Corn, and he's actually from Central PA, and he's with the uh, Cumberland County Trout Unlimited, I believe. But, um, He's been a huge influence in my life Even since I was, I think I was 14 at the time. They had this fly fishing youth and conservation camp in, uh, at the Yellow Breaches in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania. And I highly recommend if any parents have children that would be interested, it's, extre- it's totally worth it. It opened my eyes. It's amazing. It's like a two-week uh, camp pretty much where they teach you about conservation um, the dedication to it, having the discipline to practice it. And then on top of it, you get to fish uh, twice a day. So you get to fish in the morning if you have a little time in the afternoon and then after dinner. So um, on the yellow breaches, but Ken O'Corn was one mentor and one guide at the time who I pretty much like studied under. I, I uh, took, I, I looked at everything that he did because I, I learned by watching and, and then by doing afterwards. Mm. So what I, my goal was at the time is pick one person and learn as much as I could from that one person. And Ken really stuck out to me and he really took me under the wing and then showed me pretty much how everything worked. I, I had a broad perspective, but then he really dialed it in. Like I went from a novice all the way up into like intermediate and um, like into those levels where you would talk about using split shot and then Emerger patterns and how to uh, stru- how to know when a fish strikes without even using an indicator or check nymphing and stuff like that. So he then um, he's been inviting me to a cabin that he rents on the Yellow Breaches and with his uh, group of fly fishing buddies. It's like a like I I, I hate to use the word, but it's like a small like uh, frat almost. Like a, it's like a clubhouse pretty much. These these like seven or eight guys who I've been fly fishing for like 30 years and it's like a small little like group of just engineers and retirees that found each other and just want to go fishing uh, a few times a year. So it's like their little clubhouse in a way. And I got to go with them almost every spring for the uh, Granum hatch and the, and the uh, Mount March Brown hatch on the yellow breaches, which is absolutely amazing. So yeah, kennel corn. That was my biggest influencer and still is. We still talk on a regular basis and he still is teaching me things all the time. So he's a great friend. I think it's really important uh, as fly fishers to have those mentors because, um, you know, people that have been on this earth longer than we have that have done a lot of fishing have seen a lot more things and those cycles kind of come into play and you can kind of draw on previous history, like certain hatches or just, you know, situations you see on the river that... uh, come back and it's nice to have that tool to pull that out of your memory and say hey remember when we did this this really worked let's let's try that yeah absolutely like uh he's he's um over 
70, but he's, he's a wealth of information, like just unbelievable information. And, you know, he's, he's very humble. He, he doesn't like to claim that he's a walking encyclopedia of fly fishing, but, um, there's always, there's always people better, out, uh, better at it than you. And he's, uh, definitely way ahead of me in fly fishing and everything. So as, as, as I can, ha- if, if I have the choice, I'd hang out with him as much as I could. And he's just an amazing person to be around. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really important to have someone to be there for you, like one-on-one when you're picking up fly fishing, even if you're, even if you consider yourself to be a skilled fly fisherman, there's always someone that you can learn from, even if they're not as good as you, or even if they are better than you at fly fishing, you know, just stay humble and realize that there's always something small that you can pick up and just appreciate that. So yeah, I absolutely agree. The more I hear you talk about that, it makes me realize the whole reason that I actually started this podcast to begin with was not to just interview famous fly fishers. It's to go deeper than that and talk to people because the the, the gentleman that you're just referring to, I know quite a few people like that. And it's like those people are a wealth of information and we need a sounding board for that if that makes sense not everybody wants to be front and center in front of a microphone or on on a camera but the the details you can get from people that you least suspect are always the most interesting in my mind absolutely yeah. absolutely so have you got any crazy fish stories from your time uh time on the water in pennsylvania or colorado or wherever you've been fishing lately well, uh, when I was 14, I actually, I was, so I recently moved from uh, my hometown of Northampton, Pennsylvania to uh, Littleton, Colorado. And, you know, we just got here like uh, January 8th. So we've just been, we just moved in pretty much. So I haven't been out to explore the water yet, but in Pennsylvania, there, I do, I prefer small streams, mm-hmm. like big streams and big fish are great that are always stocked and they're like the A-class trout streams and stuff like that. But I prefer like the uh, brook trout streams. So, I mean, I don't really have any crazy stories, but I, I really love it. The love the sulfur hatch in uh, my hometown. The, we, I go on a small stream called the Catasauqua Creek, which is pretty much right down the street from my house. And I have pretty much the only access to it because I'm friends with all of the people who um, own property along it. And the sulfur hatch on this creek is absolutely amazing. It's like the only hatch that goes on in the spring that you can actually record. The sulfurs are like a neon orange, like a, like a chartreuse almost color, and they just cloud the streams and brush for about four days. But for about four days, you can catch trout from noon all the way up until dusk, which is when they suddenly become extremely active and it's just absolutely crazy. There's um, fish jumping everywhere in the small stream that's about six feet wide, but in certain uh, parts it's like six feet deep. And just targeting this stream, you have to pretty much crawl on your hands and knees to get wherever you want to go because in order to get close enough, you have to avoid all of the brush behind you. So you have to do bow and arrow casts and stuff like that. So I feel like a little Joe Humphreys um, doing some bow and arrow casts under the brush where I'm kneeling down and I have to watch where my fly is actually going to land and if it's going to land in the right place. And then it, it just brings my like focus and attention to it, like up to a hundred percent, like it dials it all in, but it's just the sulfur hatch is one thing that I live for just four days out of the year. And it's the most amazing thing. And if anyone has a chance to experience that, I would definitely recommend it. I'm sure there's other hatches that I'm missing, but uh, that's like the one thing that 
I could walk five minutes down the street and, you know, with my little uh, eight and eight and a half, eight and a half a foot, uh, three, four weight fly rod and just pick up small 12 inch trout. So yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely love that. So that, that would be my story. We're chatting today with Nathaniel Treichler, founder of the Fly Crate uh, online fly shop from Pennsylvania. They've got a monthly fly club. Check them out. Totally agree with you on that, Nathaniel. I, I always think that we have a pale morning dun hatch that uh, is on a certain river that I like to frequent. And when you hit it, it's just amazing. Early in the morning, those, 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 and like you say, they're kind of like, these ones are like a little chartreuse kind of real, well, those pale yellow uh mayflies and those trout just love them but they're very it's a very subtle hatch the one that i see it's it's um and it only happens in the morning it's gone by about 10. in our state i think it's it's uh we call it by a different name in pennsylvania i actually fished something similar on the uh i think it was the little lehigh in the lehigh valley area Mm -hmm. um up by like cedar crest college up in that area and there's like a fish hatchery and I'm not sure exactly what hatch it was because it was so dark out, but, you know, pretty much something just like that. We were, um, well, not in the morning, but in the afternoon, and Mm -hmm. we just had one of those small hatches where it's only good for about an hour, and it was just hitting these huge um, stock trout that are just ginormous, and you had to use, like, three, four X tippet just to fish these spinners. But, yeah, something similar like that. I did notice that you've got some... uh self-proclaimed bug enthusiasts, I think was the term you used on your website. Uh, you've got a gentleman that has a, a master's in stream ecology that contributes to to your, uh, to your the fly crate. Maybe you can speak to a little bit of the staff and some of the people that you have working for you and some of the kind of the expertise that they bring to the picture. Right. So um, there's, there's a lot of people who contribute to the fly crate, whether it's for helping us select flies, answering customer questions that I specifically don't have the resources or knowledge to answer. Um, and there's also people who contribute to our magazine and our online blog um, that we put a lot of time into. But a lot of these people are, are friends that I've met over the years, um, whether it's through college or um, through like social media uh, platforms that I've really connected with and or um, like Trout Unlimited and such. So um, Ken O'Corn was a contributor. There's also uh, Corey Conville, who's a microbiologist. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm messing up his title a bit, but he's big into bugs, and that's what he studied at college. And he has a master's, and he's working on his PhD, I believe, right now, where he's trying to get into a program. But he's just amazing. Like he he will take a magnifying glass and look at what antennas or you know, what sort of body parts or abdomen that the, the caddis has or whatever and identify it just from that and what it's been eating and the health of the stream just by the, the insect's diet, which is crazy. But we have all these people who really want to make sure that um, anyone who visits our site really has the, um, the best resource that they possibly can and all the questions are answered. So, But, uh, you know, we're always pulling in and bringing up on board new people who just want to, you know, get onto the education board and really are committed to making sure that we're bringing as much value as we can to our visitors and our customers. Because, you know, uh, there's only a small community of fly fishermen and anglers who um, in the United States, and we really have to focus on those people 
because not only just for like the education, but for like the conservation side of it, because those are the people who really make the difference in the like protecting our streams and freshwater resources and stuff like that. So we're we're big into all that. So yeah, just from a from a business point of view, we talked about influences from a fly fishing point of view. I'm curious, is there has there been somebody in your life that's really kind of encouraged you in this business? Well, I mean, um, I, I I have to owe that to my parents, I think, because to a certain extent, you're influenced by your parents for pretty much your entire life. Like at a young age, um, I was um, I joined Boy Scouts of America and um, and you know went up through the system through that. Got my Eagle Scout. Um, I earned that, and you know I really have to owe it to my parents for teaching me like the discipline, but also like the uh, practice of conservation and really allowing me to explore the outdoors because my whole family is super big into um, outdoor scene. And I think it's to my parents that I owe much of my business success and my mentality and philosophies that really make me a successful business owner, but also um, a good practitioner of um, like conservation and just the, uh, the passion and drive for the outdoors, not only just fly fishing. Well said. And kudos on putting such a such a good team together to kind of cover all aspects of our pastime. Maybe you could speak to us a little bit about the, the monthly fly club that your online fly shop offers. Uh, what's that all about? Right. So um, the whole idea pretty much was let's build a community around our business. So, you know, we're we're a business. So at the end of the day, we while we do have to make money, we also want to make sure that we make people happy and that the product and the services that we're providing really makes someone's day and makes an impact on someone's life. So we didn't want to be there just for like a one-time sell, like uh, you bought some flies and then you left. We wanted to be there month to month, day to day, week to week. And so we developed the uh, the fly the monthly fly club, uh, the fly on the flycreate.com, just to serve as that. And so pretty much what it is is. You're, we're matching the hatch for you, and we're teaching you how to use the flies that we're providing you. So each month you, you receive a, a bunch of flies that we hand curate for your region that we take a lot of time in um, perfecting and making sure that we're actually matching the insects that are hatching in your area. And then we provide a magazine full of valuable resources and content from our curators of content and stuff like that, like people that we put a lot of uh, trust into making sure that we're choosing the right flies and we're also educating you to make sure that you know how to use those flies. So, and then you also get a, a cool monthly sticker, which uh, we have designed monthly by a very talented artist in the United States. So you get all three of those. You get the flies, you get the, the valuable resources to learn how to fly fish, and then you get a cool sticker that you can slap onto your Yeti cooler or the back of your car onto your... Uh, your water bottle and take it fishing just to rep to show people that you're actually out and about and, you know, exploring the wilderness and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, for people, it's, it's really dedicated towards people who want to improve their skills. So we tailor it towards beginners, intermediates, and the experts can always pick up a, a few things. Or if you just want to treat yourself to something where you can, you don't have to worry about tying flies all the time. You can discover new fly fishing flies that you never would have really picked up at the shop or really learned how to tie and we provide those for you. So it's a lot of fun, but uh, it's also a good tool to learn how to fly fish and 
So that's our monthly cycle. Well, it's good too, because I think if, if you're picking patterns for hatches that are, you know, are coming up, sometimes it's a little overwhelming when you walk into a fly shop, especially as a beginner, because there's all these patterns and it's pretty hard to know where to start unless you really know your entomology for, for where you're fishing. And let's face it, most beginners have to pick that up as they go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a certain uh, uh, extent to how far you have to match the hatch. So there there are some streams that you have to be so specific that it has to match the exact shade of color, the size, and the silhouette of the insect that's actually hatching. And then some streams you can pretty much toss in a, a bear hook with a bunch of thread on it, and you'll catch a fish. Like uh, about five or six years ago, I was fly fishing with a bunch of guys, and one of them dared each other, to, well, one of them dared the other to catch a fish on um, just some duct tape. So he tied a pheasant tail exclusively out of duct tape on a, on a uh, fly hook, and he went over and caught a fish on it. So sometimes it, it doesn't have to be so complicated, but another times it, it does require that you have that, the experience of matching the hatch and entomology, which is like the study of insects and stuff like that. So... It really does help, but it also makes it a lot more fun. So it, it's fun to take on those challenges of knowing your bugs and knowing your insects because, you know, you can walk out onto a stream and you can have a fly box of full of flies and stuff like that. But if you don't know how to use them, there's a very low chance you'll actually catch some fish because your your chances of choosing the right fly go up dramatically if you know where to look and know what bugs are hatching during that month or during that week or you know so on and so forth so yeah so there's both sides it could be complex or it can be super simple it just it just helps all around to have that knowledge base i'm taking some notes here so duct tape pheasant tail i'm gonna try that now it's got to be silver or can you use colored duct tape uh he used uh like just plain duct tape like the the silver kind that's too funny well that that speaks to the aggressive nature of some of those trout too you know you can basically anything floating down the river. And those those trout can be very opportunistic in moving water, can't they? Oh, yeah. So, like, in faster water, they'll, like, uh, especially brook trout, you can pretty much, in my experience, I'm sure there's others who have had different experience, but you can pretty much toss in anything. And as long as it's sort of the right size, they'll, they'll eat it. Um, and in some regards, as long as it has the same shape, they'll pick it up because there's only a split second where a trout sees it and then they have to decide whether or not they're going to uh, actually take it. Now, they're not actually probably really thinking. It's probably instinctively where they're just going, that looks like food, I'm taking it, and they just automatically take it. So you, you can play that in your favor. And, that's, you know, you'll usually find that most fish hang out in those riffles just because of the, the high oxygen levels in, in that area, and you can play that to, in, your, in your favor and just toss a nymph in, and you're good to go. You're bringing up something in a roundabout way that I, I really find interesting chatting about, and that's realistic versus suggestive. Any thoughts on, on realistic patterns versus suggestive patterns? I mean, um, realistic, like I've seen a ton where they're, it's art. Um, you can catch fish on that, absolutely. That, I, would, I would prefer realistic patterns in slow-moving water when it really counts. So um, spinners and things of that nature in slow moving pools where trout have a long time to inspect and can, and, and they have a few seconds or more to decide where they, you see them come up to the fly and they look at it 
a few inches away and they can either take it or they'll turn tail and swim the other way and just continue feeding. So in those areas, I would use more realistic patterns. And then in the quicker um, waters where trout are just exploding everywhere or um, it's fast moving, you can pretty much, it, it doesn't matter um, how it looks really. It's, it's primarily just does it have the right shape, does it have the right size, and then color can be in the same shade pattern. If it, it doesn't have to be this exact yellow, it could it could be brighter or darker. It doesn't have to be the exact color of the actual insect because, you know, when things get wet, the, the shades tend to darken. Um, but uh, there's another important thing that I'd like to point out. Most insects that land on the water or are dying on the water or resting or whatever, like uh, spinners, for example, they're not going to fall wings splayed out every single time. If you actually look closely, wings will be crippled. They'll be folded under each other. One will be on one side and the, and or crisscrossed. They'll be missing wings. So respectively, you don't have to be that great of a tire or um, all that great of a fly selector to catch very selective trout because in most uh, cases, insects don't look perfect. There's always something wrong with them. So you can you can use that and take it forward and um, yeah. So that's that's my perspective on realistic versus the uh, you know the the, the versatile yeah. patterns. And I have talked to other people that like to start with a suggestive pattern, which makes a lot of sense. But like you say, if you're in in faster moving water, and then as hatches develop, you can see what's going on and maybe slowly get more realistic. Yeah, absolutely. So like when I go fishing. I have a bunch of favorites that I play. I My box is only consisting of like, uh, I'd, I'd say, like I use nymphs most of the time because that's what trout are eating most of the time because they're like in the winter right now, very few are coming up and actually eating on the surface because there's really nothing going on unless you're in like uh, like um, reservoirs and stuff like that where the water's temper- water temperature is stable year-round where, mm-hmm. where it can support active hatches year-round but in most cases they're just feeding on nymphs or under the surface all year round and i i tend to go with like um like a prince nymph or a uh, an adapted version where it's uh, where it has like a red throat and a red uh, tail on it now i i tend to go with patterns like these and euro nymphs and stuff like that just because i like to uh go euro nymphing but what i do is i i i, I pick these nymphs and i pick like one or two uh, flies that I can tie on to like a multi-fly rig, which I'm really big into because it works like every single time. And I pick like a caddis and then I pick a, like a mayfly, stonefly nymph that's very broad. It can cover a huge range of different nymphs and uh, life cycles and stuff like that. And let's say the trout go with the midge pattern consistently, like I catch two trout and none on the caddis pattern, then I can switch to both mayfly or uh, stonefly patterns. So now I just doubled my chances because I found out that those trout are feeding on mayflies and uh, stoneflies. So then I can dial it in and get rid of the caddis pattern and then just switch to two mayfly patterns. And now I'm now my chances just doubled and now I'm having a, a better day on the water and catching more fish. I really like the way you verbalize that. That's, that's my thought 
progression too when I approach any water. You kind of start with more searching patterns, more general patterns. Then you slowly start exactly. to dial it in. And, you know, unless something obvious, unless big stoneflies are coming off in front of your face, I mean, then you're going to change to that. But yeah, no, it's 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 very interesting. Yeah. So you, what, what you usually do is when you approach the water, you can assume and just go with one of your go-to patterns or you can do a little research and take a guesstimate from that and and then dial it in from there. So you, you can mm-hmm. you can just walk up to some water and just go, yeah, I'm going to fish this today regardless of what's hatch, uh, going on. And if you're comfortable with that, usually you fish better when you are more confident in your pattern and that tends to work out more favorably in your in in your advantage and then then if you do like the research side you would like look under rocks look in bushes and trees see what's actually going on and then from that you would study the water where what what a trout are doing and where are they are they feeding close to the surface are they feeding below and then from that you can take an assumption or a guesstimate and then just go yeah I'll, I'll use this fly because that's what they're doing and then you can dial it in from there or you could just walk up and toss in whatever you feel and then work from there. Yeah, fair enough. I'm going to get a little f- philosophical on you, if you don't mind. Uh, something I like to ask, I, I like to ask my guests, um, if you could change something about fly fishing, what would that be? Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Um, I, uh, I mean, I don't, I haven't really uh, come across a whole lot where that's been like too restrictive to where I would want it to be changed. I, I guess one thing that I would like to change is make it easier for, um, for people to access water. So like in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of streams. We have more than most states and I'm used to having public, uh, parking access and, you know, uh, you can pretty much walk onto the stream and fish. And then in other states, I've heard that you have to either request permission or it's restricted in certain areas. And stuff like that, like all that red tape. And in my opinion, I would want to change that and make it easier for people to actually access the water, do what they love. And, you know, we're not like, if you're into the catch and release or whatever, whatever you want to do with the fish when you catch them, um, I, I would prefer just to let people have their fun. And, you know, if you're, I'm big into the catch and release side. So when people are like, I don't want you catching my fish or something like that, it, it kind of, rubs me the wrong way because I'm just like, I'm not going to do anything to them. I'm just going to release some sort of deal. Like you'll see them tomorrow. <laughs> uh, like I'll catch them again in a week sort of deal. Um, but yeah, so that would be one thing. And then I guess the other side would be the, uh, the pollution aspect of big corporations and stuff like that. And all of the uh, pollutants that go into the stream water by like agricultural means and industrial, but also like the car pollutants and stuff like that. I wish that was, more in the public eye than what Kim Kardashian is doing or something like that. So, uh, but you know, it's what sells really to the media, but you know, I guess, I guess the media, the pollution side, but also like the public access would be a bunch of things that I would change. Yeah. That's, that's well put. Is there anything I'm missing that you'd uh, like to touch on with regarding either the fly crate or just fly fishing in general? A lot of people think that, uh, fly fishing can be really expensive and I think they're true in most aspects, but you can get by with just a stick and some line on the stick and catch fish that way. Um, you don't have to go in and buy all the most expensive stuff. You can start out small. Like this is mainly tailored towards uh, beginners and stuff like this, like this message. So I would just say um, 
you know, start out small and then grow from there. And um, what I found to be the most enjoyable thing in fly fishing is going where other people haven't. It's going to those places that have been untouched and are left in in good condition by other people who have gone there or, or something like that. Like, just remember that when you go to these places that are so remote and so beautiful that, you know, like those tranquil places, remember that there's people uh, years or, you know, like there's people coming behind you that are fo- that are going to follow you to those places that are going to want to appreciate the same thing. So make sure to do the leave no trace thing and make sure that you're leaving the place that you found the way that it was when you found it. So really don't leave your, your garbage on the side of the, the stream and make sure that um, the only thing you're leaving are pretty much your footprints or even less than that. So, and, uh, you know, handle the trout with care. It's so easy to ruin an ecosystem. It's unbelievable. And it takes decades to like dozens of years just to fix what you may cause. So um, just remember that the way it is was perfect when you found it so just leave it that way and you know leave it for the next person those kids and those youth that are just finding fly fishing now leave it for them and let them have a good time too so that's pretty much it you've been listening today to an interview with nathaniel trichler founder of the fly crate uh, nathaniel before we let you go just can i want to get all your media handles and your website out there um where can folks find you at all right well um you can find us at www theflycrate.com. We're on Instagram, Facebook. You can find us there. Uh, you can just search us on Instagram. You can type in the fly crate and, uh, which is Instagram.com forward slash the fly crate. And the same thing on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash the fly crate. And we're always posting tips, cool images, helpful guides. And, you know, you can pick up the occasional sweet deal that we do. And uh, yeah, so I hope to see you guys soon. And um, I hope you guys really enjoyed this uh, conversation. I know I did. Thanks so much. And keep up the good work you're doing with all the uh, good info you're getting out uh, to beginners, intermediate, experienced anglers, uh, just basically helping grow the sport of fly fishing. Nathaniel Treichler from the Fly Crate. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm